Let me just try this. Do you sometimes open the Bible and do you feel just inequipped, unequipped to understand what you're reading? Uh, you know, or perhaps that you might be able to think you've got your head around it, but you wouldn't be able to explain it to somebody else. Well, that's how I felt to this week when I was opening up this passage to look at it. And even now standing here before you, I feel inequipped to do God's Word justice. To clearly communicate what God is saying to His people. But we're not here to hear from a mere man. We're here to hear the voice of God speak to us as if from a mountaintop. We're gathered here at the foot of the mountain to hear God speak from and for His glory. Yet, we're not gathered at Sinai to hear a law that does not bring life. Instead, it's as if we are gathered together at the foot of Mount Zion as new creations in Christ to come and hear the good news of redemption as well as how we should live. So today, we're going to be talking about how we should live as God's people. There will be something of God's law, of what He requires of us. But remember... This law isn't, in light, uh, isn't a heavy burden for us. This is in light of the redemption that we have already received. If you belong to Jesus, if you have faith and trust in Him, then you have already received redemption. And so this law is a law for those who are belonging to Jesus and who have found life in Him. Now, just a reminder to catch you up where we are. We are in uh, the back half of John. This is uh, in the, the, the dialogues that Jesus has with his disciples, mostly around the Lord's Supper, at that last supper, that night that he was going to be betrayed. Now, remember that he is teaching them. It's like a discipleship intensive. He's like, okay, time's running short. I've got to get this message across to you. You've got to, you've got to hear this. You've got to, you've got to know and understand because... His betrayal and his death is looming. It is, it is this specter on the, on the horizon as Jesus is laying out all of this stuff for them. We know that soon his betrayal will happen. His betrayal will come. And so in this discipleship intensive, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to live when Jesus isn't around. He keeps saying, I'm going away, I'm going away. And they need to know how are we to live when Jesus is not bodily present. But it is just as much for those disciples then, those 12, as it is for us now. Because remember, when John writes these words, this is a couple decades after Jesus has already left. And he writes this word and re-records what Jesus had said at that last meal for the benefit of God's people down through the ages. This is for your benefit, for your encouragement, for your understanding, and for your obedience. Now, in the passage that we're looking at, there's three interlocking ideas. And this isn't the, po- this isn't the main points, so don't write down three main points. This is, um, there's, there is three interlocking ideas that kind of keep circling around each, each other. There's the idea of loving obedience. There is the idea of the Holy Spirit. And there is union with God. Union with God. And so there's these three ideas that kind of keep circulating around in the passage. And as we move through the passage, you'll see them come up again and again. 
Now, with this passage, with this, uh, with this passage, I couldn't really come up with a few succinct main points. You know, the the, the classic three-point sermon. I couldn't come up with three points. So I'm just going to run through a whole list of applications, a string of applications that we uncover as we go along. So I hope you can follow along and you can see these applications and how they are, for God's people, a blessing and a benefit even now. Um, Would somebody please operate the slides? The first one is to show love and follow Jesus' commands. This is the first This is the first application, to show love by following Jesus' commands. Now, we are inherently uh, kind of get our our back up. You know, we, we inherently kind of strive against being told what to do. You know, I, I, had a, I had an experience this week where it was clear that Olivia was going to do something and then I told her to do it and she stopped and she decided not to do it and instead she said no but it was obvious that she was going to do it but as soon as it became a command as soon as it became a law for her to do it she's like no nah, i don't want to do it anymore but it, how much for us how much is that our, our our experience when when the law of the land or perhaps when the law of god comes and we hear it and we say no nah, i don't want to do it we, we, we kick against these, these strictures that are placed on us. But this is how we show love to God. This is how we show love to Jesus. It is by following his commands. Now, if you had a, uh, a lusty teenage boy trying to say to his girlfriend, you would do it if you love me, obviously that is a misuse of this kind of language. This isn't Jesus trying to get somebody to do something uh, Uh, to make them feel guilty and shame them into doing something. This is our loving Savior, our loving God, who says, do this good thing to show that you love me. It's the evidence. This is the head of the church asking us to demonstrate our love because love is an active thing. It is not just a feeling that we have, an, an affection that we have. Love is an active thing that can be shown but it makes sense in other fields. Like when we talk about related ideas to love, if you, how do you show respect to godly authority? Well, you submit to it. How do you show your parents that you love them? Well, you honor them. And in the case of children, you obey them. How do you show your boyfriend or your girlfriend that you love them? You do things that you know that they like. How do we show Jesus, our loving King and Savior and God, that we love him, we submit to him, we honor him, we do what he likes, we obey his commandments. And that is a resounding statement in this passage. Jesus keeps coming back to that. Four times he says, basically, if you love me, keep my commandments. And this is the sign that somebody belongs to Jesus. There is evidence when people belong to Jesus. They do what he tells them to do. And to to prove the point, just think about what it would be like if somebody was doing the opposite. They said, oh, I love, yes, I love Jesus. Jesus is my saviour, but I don't follow any of his instructions. How upside down and back the front is that? 
Now, we know, we know as we've been working our way through John, that nobody can come to the Father unless the Father draws them. We know that you cannot be a Christian, you cannot belong to Jesus unless you are born again by the Holy Spirit, being able to enter into his kingdom. We know that salvation is of God, not of ourselves. God will bring his people to faith. They will profess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that he rose again from the dead. But what is the evidence that this has happened? What is this outward sign that God has done an inward work? It is that we will obey Jesus' commands. We show it by our actions. Love is active. But we're not left to fulfill these commands in a spiritual vacuum. No, Jesus will send a helper. Jesus will send a helper. And that's our next application, that the Spirit will be with you. The Spirit will be with you. Remember again, Jesus is about to depart and die for the sins of his people. But he's not abandoning them. Jesus, one of the persons of God, is leaving, but another person of God is coming. Um, And so let's look at verse 16 and 17. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, or some of your translations might say a helper, another helper, or a comforter, if you're using the King James. The world cannot, uh, sorry, uh, he'll give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus says, we will send you, we will send you the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to get into, for you theology nerds out there, I'm not going to get into a discussion about the filioque, you know, whether or not the Spirit proceeds from the Son and the Father or just the Son, uh, sorry, just the Father. That's a discussion for later. Maybe we can do it tonight at Blokes Night. But um, what we, uh, we're focusing here on the fact that this Spirit is coming This spirit is coming from God to be with his people. This is, in the Greek, the parakletos, the paraclete, the helper, advocate, and counselor. Now, now when you think of this, don't think of like, I don't know, uh, somebody who you, um, you know, aroused about that you employ, or, you know, it's not that kind of helper. It's, It's almost like a legal counsel, counselor. You know, it's uh, somebody who helps you negotiate things that you don't understand. And that's important because he is the spirit of truth. He's going to lead us into the truth. He's going to guide us, show us the way. And he will be almost as if like a replacement for Jesus. Jesus was there bodily with them. He's going away. But now the spirit will be with them. And Here we have God being with his people. But interestingly, it says that the world cannot accept him. The spirit who will be with you forever, the world cannot accept him. They are blind to him. They refuse him in their natural state. And this fits with what we've been seeing. That you see throughout the course of the scriptures and as we've been seeing throughout John, that there are those who despite the fact that Jesus was doing amazing miracles before their very eyes, despite the fact that Jesus was proclaiming the truth of God to them, they were blind and deaf to it. 
the same goes in terms of accepting Jesus uh, as it goes with the Holy Spirit. They are blind to Him. They refuse Him. They cannot see Him at work. But the disciples know Him because they know Christ. They have seen the work of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will soon live in them. One of the confusing things about the book of John is that it kind of talks about the Spirit in a way that in the rest of the Bible, we kind of don't expect him to talk about the Spirit. So, for instance, in Acts, we're told about, uh, uh, what's the word? Pentecost, where there is the the coming of the Spirit, that, that day after Jesus was resurrected and ascended to the Father, the coming of the Holy Spirit was on Pentecost. That's the, the, the signal, the sign that it had happened. But in John's Gospel, John says, after Jesus is resurrected, he breathed the Holy Spirit on them. And you go, okay, so how did... I thought the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, but he breathed the Holy Spirit on them uh, after he was resurrected. And then confusingly here, what does it say? It says, uh, the Spirit is with you. So... I don't know that we're supposed to forensically say, well, the Holy Spirit was not working here, but he was working here. And, but I think that we are meant to see that the Holy Spirit was already at work. The Holy Spirit was already doing its work. Yes, the Holy Spirit comes in a special way for the, for the building up of the church, for the spread of the gospel at, at Pentecost. But the Holy Spirit, remember, has been at work since creation. The Holy Spirit was there hovering over the face of the deep at creation. The world was created through Christ and the Holy Spirit from the beginning. The Holy Spirit has always been in operation in God's creation. And this is a reminder of that. But now, in and through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has come to accomplish the redemption of Jesus by applying it to the hearts of his people. The Holy Spirit is in you if you belong to Jesus. And if the Holy Spirit is in you and you belong to Jesus, you are united to God, which is what Jesus will talk about some more. He says in this third application, you can be united to God, united to God. Remember the Holy Spirit, the, uh, sorry, the disciples didn't understand the fullness of the mission. And I think in part, this is a bit of Jesus kind of keeping his cards close to his chest, hiding the mission objective from the enemy. But he was still letting out enough clues to to clue them into the fact that he has to go away. He's not going to be around anymore. But he needs to tell them, you will not be left. Though Jesus is going, you will still have God with you. He says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, you will not see me anymore. Uh, sorry, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So, the world will not see Jesus anymore. He's going away. His physical body is going away. But spiritually speaking, his disciples will still see him. And then physically speaking, we will see him again when he returns Jesus will come again. Though he is gone now, we still see him. 
He was seen in his post-resurrection appearances, and we see him by faith. But see here, he's cluing us into the fact that he will live, despite the fact that he dies. Because I live, you will live. Jesus is about to die, but he will live again, and his disciples will live with him. And when they see this, when this happens, it will start to click together. The realization will come. Jesus has been risen from the dead. Now we have new life. Now they will understand all that Jesus had been doing and all that Jesus had been preparing them for. When they saw him again alive, they realize what Christ had won for them. And the fact that now they would be united to God. You will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. We are united to God through Jesus Christ because of what he does. And the fact that Jesus rose again from the dead is the the thing that brings it all together, that makes it click, makes us understand. But Jesus continues on with that reminder that the way that you demonstrate that you love God and belong to God is by obedience. Anyone can say that they love God, while t- walking contrary to him. In fact, the Israelites used to do it all the time. Uh, you, you, you make the sacrifices and you say these things with your lips while your hearts are far from me. I wonder if that's a description of you right now. That you have come here this morning and you have sung these songs while your heart is far from God. The evidence of your love is your obedience. Can that be seen? Can somebody outside of you see your obedience to Christ? Or is it a figment of your imagination? What does Jesus say in verse 21? Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. The one who loves Jesus is loved by the Father. It's all connected. You can't have love for Jesus and not have love for the Father. You can't have any part of Jesus without the Father. And conversely, you can't have any part of the Father without Christ. The only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. But we can have confidence as Jesus' disciples that if we confess Christ and walk in His commands, that we belong to Him And we are loved by him. And that reality that we belong to him will be revealed to us. Jesus himself will reveal it to us with our next application, that God will live with you. You remember Judas is not Iscariot. So Judas Iscariot at this time in the story, he's off betraying Jesus. He's left the meeting. But the other Judas in the 12 disciples, he's trying to figure this out. Like how... How are you going to reveal yourself to us, but the rest of the world is not going to see you? Why, why is this going to happen? And in verse 22, it says, uh, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. 
So God will reveal himself to his own people and come and live with them. Jesus is building on what he said before in the previous passage, I go away to prepare a place for you and I'll come back and take you to be there so that you may live with the Father. Remember, I haven't been clear and I've just been assuming that we all know what we're talking about. When I say the Father, I'm talking about God the Father. God exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. And God the Father is probably the part of God that we think of most when we just use the word God. I shouldn't use words like parts, but you get the idea. That when we think of the invisible God, the God who ordains and brings all things together, the God who uh, sovereignly uh, oversees all of history, we're usually thinking about God as God the Father. He is the one who is directing and bringing together all these plans. And that's why Jesus is following his commands. So when we talk about God the Father, talking about the invisible God, and that's what makes Jesus so wild and so unbelievable because he is God made visible, to, to be able to see God. So Jesus is God the Son incarnate and he is the way to God in his entirety. Those who don't belong to God, those who don't love him, will not live with God in a real sense. They will not live with God. And God will give you what you want, so to speak. He, he, he's not a sugar daddy just like um, giving you anything you really want from the, um, you know, oh, can I please, pretty please, can I have this thing, this shiny thing over here? He's not... Uh, he's not that kind of giving you what you want, but in the sense of if you want God, he will give himself to you. If you desire him, if you seek after him, then he will reveal himself to you. He will give himself to you. He will save you. You can go and live with him for eternity in everlasting light and life. But the converse is also true. If you don't want God, if you reject God, if you push him away and say, no thanks, I'll do things my own way, well then God will give you what you want. He will reject you. He will send you away from life and light and darkness, uh, in, into darkness. The word that we don't like to use, he will send you to the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. He will send you to hell. That is the way away from God. Because if you have any desire for life, if you have any desire for what is good, if you have any desire for what is love, it all comes from God. And so to reject God is to reject everything that is good and lovely and beautiful. A sign that you don't love God is that you don't obey. That's what Jesus says here. What does he say? I just lost the just lost the the spot. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. That's the sign. If you're looking for a sign to figure out where you fit, perhaps you've said you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, but your life is 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 actually walking uh, contrary to God, then you cannot have confidence. You cannot have confidence that you belong to Jesus while you wander astray from him. 
It might be the case that you are like the prodigal son on a, you are on a sojourn away from God, but you can have no confidence that you belong to Jesus while you walk apart from him with your life. And this is God's message. It's Jesus' message and God's message. This next application is that the Spirit will teach you. The Spirit will teach you. Jesus has been teaching them. He's been teaching his disciples across the years. But now the Holy Spirit's going to pick up where Jesus left off, so to speak. In verse 25, it says, All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So the Spirit will, will continue the ministry of Jesus. He will teach you Jesus' commands. And this is really great because what did Jesus give as the commission to the church? He said, go into all the world, make disciples. How we make disciples? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded us. So the Holy Spirit is helping us do our job. God has, Jesus has called us to do this and he sent the helper, the advocate, to come and to continue this work of Christ in and through his church, to teach us to obey Jesus Christ, to teach us everything that Jesus has said to us. And if I could add a little interjection here, just a reminder that there is a lot of misunderstanding about the role of the Holy Spirit. And these chapters in John really has Jesus laying out for us what we should expect the Holy Spirit to do. It's not that the Holy Spirit can't do miraculous and wonderful things, but the job of the Holy Spirit, His mission, His ministry with His church is not about the miraculous, so to speak. He's not here to put on a good show or to make us feel good um, or to, to bring us... Oh, I won't get too carried away, but... The point is that we should be expecting, if, we, if we're looking for the work of the Holy Spirit, what should we be seeing? We should be seeing people becoming Christians. We should be seeing people learning about Jesus and learning to follow Jesus. That's the, the sign that the Spirit of God is at work in people, is that they are becoming obedient to Jesus. They are understanding who Jesus is and what He wants them to do. He is here to continue Christ's work, to teach, to convict to lead us to God, to reveal God to us, to revive our hearts. So that's what we will be looking for as the Spirit leads and teaches us in Christ's absence. And because of this, we can be at peace. Be at peace. This next application, be at peace. All these words of Jesus about the Holy Spirit who is coming, about his departure, it, will, it should lead us to peace. As it says in verse 22, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do, not give you uh, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Knowing what's coming, Jesus has been laying out this plan. Knowing what's coming should not lead them to be afraid. They don't need to be afraid of what's coming or, what, uh, or afraid of God not delivering on his promises. They don't need to be afraid that Jesus is going away. It shouldn't lead us to fear. He brings peace. He brings peace. The same kind of peace that we can have even if we are facing hugely difficult trials. 
even if we are suffering, even if we are seeing the world fall apart around us, we are the people of peace because we know that Jesus is coming back again. We know that Jesus is able to fulfill the plans that he has for his people. We don't need to be afraid. We can have peace. And so Jesus circles back to his imminent departure and we get this next and last application that Jesus shows love by following commands. That's Jesus shows love by following commands. In verse 28, he says, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now, I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. So Jesus is saying, look, this is not a sad time. Yes, I'm going away, but it's not a sad time, because I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father. It's like the way that we love our relatives who have died. Yes, we want them to stay here and be with us, but, in their, but we know that it is actually better for our believing relatives to go and to be with the Father. Jesus is preparing them for what's coming and so that they know that it's not a fluke, it's not an accident when all this stuff comes. I've told you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen, you'll believe. He, he tells them this is coming. And when everything shakes out over the next couple days and few weeks with the disciples, they're going to have a huge shake-up in their life. But Jesus is giving them the warning now, preparing them for all this stuff that is going to happen to them. And so their faith can be strengthened, even though it might look like the world is falling apart with uh, Jesus dying on the cross and the, them hiding away in the upper room for fear of their lives and and then what will come after that in terms of persecution and trials. But Jesus has told them beforehand, so as these things happen, it's actually strengthening their faith. Hang on, Jesus told us that he was going to go away, and he's gone away. Jesus told us that he was going to come back, Oh, and he has come back. Jesus, for us, we can have confidence, because Jesus told us, you're going to have trials and sufferings in this world. And so even when we are facing trials and sufferings in this world, we can, we can have joy knowing that actually this is happening just the way that Jesus said it would. And it is a confirmation and strengthening of our faith. Jesus continues in verse 30, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. So the devil is coming, Satan is coming. And Jesus is saying, look, our time's running short. I'm not going to say much more. But he comes, the prince of this world is coming. And just a reminder there that the, he's called the prince of this world. Jesus calls Satan the prince of this world. Jesus knows that Satan has real power. And in fact, that's why Jesus came to die, to disarm the powers, right? He came to overthrow this prince because this prince is in many respects an, a usurper. He has taken power and control where it does not belong. And so Jesus, it's not as though Jesus' duel with the devil is like this 
this thing where it could go either way, you know, where as if, as if the devil had any uh, upper hand, if, if he could pull a trick out of his bag that would ever overthrow God. But Jesus still comes to overthrow him, to throw him down, to destroy him, to undo him, undo all his works. So this guy is coming for Jesus. Jesus knew it was going to happen, but Jesus was the one who was going to come out on top. And what does Jesus say about the reason why he's coming? The prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what the Father has commanded me. The, Satan is coming for him that the world, so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. The fact that the devil is coming and he's going to take Christ and crucify him, to betray him and crucify him, is, the, is what will show that Jesus loves the Father. Because Jesus is going through on the Father's plan. He's doing exactly what the Father has sent him to do, to die for the sins of the world, to redeem a people, to defeat death, to overthrow Satan. Jesus comes and by his uh, his submission to God, even to the point of being subject to the power of, the, of Satan, he's doing it so that we may learn that Jesus loves the Father and did exactly what the Father commanded him. But here is the, is the interesting thing that kind of brings this whole passage together. Because four times Jesus has told us, four times Jesus has told us, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And then here at the end, what do we have? Jesus saying, I love the Father, so I obey his commands. He is doing exactly what he calls us to do. He is doing exactly what he calls us to do. He has set the example of what it looks like to show love through obedience. He laid down his life for us. He did this out of love. And so we should lay down our lives for him out of love for him. And it finishes here with, come now, let us leave, because they are about to leave the supper soon. I think they actually go on and he keeps talking for a little bit, but the point is they're preparing to leave the supper and I think they go to Gethsemane after this. So what? Where does this leave us as we close? I think the, the key point has been repeated several times. The key thing is show your love to God by obedience. Show that you love Jesus by the way that you walk. And if you are struggling with your love for Christ, perhaps try being obedient. And you might find that the love comes with it. That you're, as, you, as you do the good things that God has called you to do, then you will grow in love for Him. So obey Jesus as a sign that you love Him. Remember that obedience won't earn you a place with God. That is given to you as a gift of grace. It comes from Him. You can't follow His commands unless the Holy Spirit is in you. You need to be born again. But having been born again, having come and belonged to God, you can be obedient. Show your love, follow Jesus' commands. The Spirit will be with you. You can be united to God. God will live with you. The Spirit will teach you. You can be at peace and Jesus shows love by following commands. Let me pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to us, for not leaving us as orphans, but sending the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. We thank you this morning that we've been able to read your word and to understand um, understand it. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to learn it so that it sits with us and that it doesn't just go in one ear and out the other. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to know this peace of belonging to Jesus. Lord, we... We, we, we pray that you might, through your Holy Spirit, enable us to be obedient, to walk with you all of our days. We thank you for the sacrifice of Christ and the gift of salvation that you give to us. Thank you, Lord, for showing your love to us. Please help us to show our love to you in some small way in return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.